And Chase Kitty on the High Motor Podcast. A little bit different this week since we skipped uh, Monday's episodes. We're going to do a little bit of a longer Wednesday episode here, and then we'll be back to our normal Monday, Thursday next week. Monday, we'll be looking ahead to the playoff rankings that are coming on Tuesday, the first playoff rankings. I think that we'll have a pretty good idea of what the top will look like, depending on what happens this weekend. But I think there's a lot to talk about um, from, I don't know, five on down to 10 ish. I'm looking forward to that. And then we'll do Thursday, looking ahead to Week 13 betting after a very light week that did, I guess, really nothing to shake up the national picture or bring any sort of clarity to the national picture. Week 12 didn't really do anything, except it did get Will Muschamp fired after that Ole Miss game in which they give up 59. And I always take this as... When you see a Sunday dismissal with a full statement from the AD, not a rumor, this guy could be on the hot seat, maybe he's gone Sunday night, maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday of a bye week. When it comes like this, where the AD clearly had his mind made up, this seems like it's been boiling for a while, and now Muschamp will collect a buyout north of $13 million, and from the buyout reports, it looks like that South Carolina will be paying monthly installments every single month for the next 49 months 270 grand per month breaking that down some fun buyout math in the high motor podcast for you to realize the stupid amount of money that ad's are just handing out to coaches that don't deserve contract extensions muschamp muschamp got that one after i want to say 2018 when they won nine games against really nobody so over the next roughly 1500 days Will Muschamp is going to make $9,000 per day. On your best betting weekend, have you even sniffed close to nine grand in one day? No, no way. Are you kidding me? That's so much money. For 1,500 days to not do a thing. I'm not sure what the language is in there if he gets another job, some of that is offset, but nine grand to not coach a football game, and now they're going to write a fat guaranteed check to the next guy who presumably and usually in these cases you're not firing Will Muschamp yeah you're looking to save some money if possible but you're not firing Will Muschamp to just hire a guy that you don't feel comfortable with so the next guy will be presumably making as much maybe even more than Muschamp did a shade over four million dollars we're going to get into that situation by asking a couple really interesting questions that you brought up we're going to talk specifically South Carolina some candidates but also widening the lens to give some perspective on what this program is. And if I recall from our neighborhood series, we spent a little bit of time talking about South Carolina and how unique of a program it is based on expectations versus reality, what this job actually is. So before I want to throw out a dream candidate, I want to throw out a realistic candidate for them. I want to have this conversation first. I want to flip this to you because you asked this question to me in a text if I wanted to talk about it. I thought it was a great question to put some perspective and, again, widen the lens on what this South Carolina job really is. And I think it's important to have this conversation this year because even though we've had, now with Utah State and Southern Miss, a little bit different, Utah State and South Carolina, I've been surprised we've seen two changes that early. I don't expect to see that many 
changes because of all the COVID issues, but especially in a year when there might not be that many jobs open, I think it's important to widen that lens and talk about what this South Carolina job really is. So ask that question you asked to me and why you asked that. Uh, so I was wondering, what's the South Carolina in every Power Five conference? Mm-hmm. That's and And why did I ask that? Because it feels like... Doesn't it feel like there are about 50 teams that think they're top 20 teams? Probably more. Yeah, so it's just, it's kind of weird that, like, I get it. South Carolina hasn't been very good. They, it the, the highs haven't been very fi- high and the lows have been all over the place. And you feel like you can do better and Will Muschamp's not really doing anything for you. So let's get him out of here. Let's get somebody else in here. But... I mean, who's who is realistically going to do better? And it, it felt to me like if it, it, this is yet another program, yet another fan base that thinks they should be better than they actually are because they had three good seasons under uh, Steve Spurrier and because Jadavion Clowney killed a guy in a tackle one time. So it's <laughs> it, it's just kind of odd uh, in when you put it in that broader context. Uh, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with, with getting rid of Muschamp. Like, he wasn't getting it done. Right. But I, I don't know who does get it done. And so I, I wanted to zoom out and kind of think, well, who are the comparable programs that are going to be kind of in this position where, you know, they're they're not really in the top half of their conference. They're not really in the top half of their division. They don't really have any history of football success I want to say, I, I saw earlier this week, they have four 10-win seasons in the history of South Carolina football, and three of them were under Spurrier. So who who are the teams across college football that kind of fit that mold? As I got further into the exercise, I realized you could also kind of profile them in a different way if you wanted to maybe be a little bit more neutral and a little less down on the fan base and the unreasonable expectations. Because I also think they're a program that, at least right now, they are in living in a big shadow of another big-time college football team within their own state. It feels like they should be better. It feels like the pieces are there. It feels like you know that the recruiting base is fine and they play in a good conference, obviously. It feels like they should be better than they are constantly. And they just never quite get there. So you could kind of put it either way. Uh, and, and I think we wanted to kind of list out who could live in, in those uh, neighborhoods, I guess, to borrow our summer terminology. Yeah, and it's kind of dumb. And I, I know you're, you don't mean this, but it's we talk about this a lot, especially in the context of Texas, that the Mac Brown, Vince Young years are clearly an anomaly for Texas football. And even though I think they should be better than what they are based on the talent they have access to, their facilities who they can get for their coaching staff, all of that kind of stuff. For South Carolina, yeah, it's dumb to just take out those three seasons plus that nine-win season in 2010, but that's, what, 33, 42 wins over four years. And like you said, they didn't. their only other 10-win season was way back, I think it was in 1960, 1984 was their only 10-win season. And other than that, it's just been a lot of nothing. So I agree with you. Firing Will Muschamp was the call. I mean, I've been saying that. I thought it was a horrible hire to begin with. So I've just been waiting for them to make this move eventually for that buyout to get down to a reasonable number. I'm a little bit surprised they did it now. I thought they might give him another year because of financial issues. I'm not even saying it's a bad move, but we also have to be realistic here. And I don't know how 
I'm not in, in Columbia. I'm not talking to Gamecock fans. I don't know what their expectation is. But like you said, how many teams in college football think they are or at least expect to be top 25 teams? South Carolina is one of them. And when you asked me this question, I went back to our neighborhood series and pulled up where they were. They were in the sixth neighborhood. And some of those teams that we didn't rank the teams in each neighborhood, but we kind of put them like almost in pods within each neighborhood. And the teams around them, there were three in the SEC, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Missouri. Then you have like Georgia Tech, Nebraska, Virginia, uh, West Virginia, Washington State, Minnesota, Michigan State. So that kind of a ballpark. So when you said who is the comparable team in each conference, I don't know if there's a perfect comparison, but what I started thinking a lot of, we brought it up with Arizona, is South Carolina just, do we just assume that they're a better program than they are because they're in the SEC? Do we assume, South Carolina high school football isn't bad, but it's kind of like what you've talked about, like Old Dominion, for example. Yeah, you have a lot of talent within, what, a hundred mile radius? But all the schools that are around you, all the other schools that are coming in and plucking that talent, that doesn't mean shit if you're not getting that talent. This isn't like a Wisconsin who is hanging on to all of their in-state talent. It's great that you have some talent around you in South Carolina, but when you have a powerhouse program, what, an hour and a half away, you also have Georgia in the area. A lot of those kids are going even farther south and farther west. Therefore, it doesn't really matter what the high school football is there and what talent you have access to if you're not even getting that talent. So going back to the original question of, of what, what is the comparable team in each conference, I don't think that there's a perfect answer, but I think there's a lot of interesting teams. Like, for example, let's start with the ACC. I think in the ACC, a very fair comparison would be a Georgia Tech or an NC State. And even though I don't think we hold either of those programs, not you and I specifically, as we put in our neighborhood series, they're both in that same neighborhood with South Carolina. But I think generally, nationally, the perception is that South Carolina is a better job and a better program than those two. And I don't think it is. I think that's a, a very reasonable place to put them by saying they can go out and get their Jeff Collins. They can go out and get their Dave Dorian. I don't think it's realistic to expect something much more than that. Is that fair for the ACC? Yeah, I, th- I have NC State written down here. Like that's and, and like circumstantially, that's not I, I don't think it lines up that way. I actually think NC State at times overperforms, particularly mm-hmm. when you look at some of the, the talent they put in the NFL with the quarterbacks. But I do think, like, if you're lining up teams across conference rankings, yeah, they're about the same. The one that I don't even know if we need to go through every conference, but because Luke Fickle's name has been thrown out there for this job, uh, I'm, I'm going to get to my dream and realistic candidates here in a little bit. But spoiler, I think Luke Fickle would be the dream candidate. Uh, Yahoo Pete Thamel came out right away and said that they are not getting Luke Fickle. They're not getting Tom Allen and they're not getting Matt Campbell. And I know that that is not for sure, for sure, but when somebody like Pete Thamel says something like that, I'm going to take that and run with it and assume that's not going to happen. But in the case of the Big Ten, Michigan State was also in that same neighborhood as South Carolina. And if you have Luke Fickle saying no to Michigan State, and yes, we have to remind ourselves that our humans, they have families. Luke Fickle has like a billion kids. Maybe they didn't want to move then. Maybe he wanted a different job. Another time, maybe he wants to stay. That being said, if South Carolina is a type of job like Michigan State, are we just talking about them? They're being they're in a position where they can't swing and get the the hot commodity G five coach, which right now is undoubtedly Luke Fickle. Yeah, they have to either settle for like the Billy Napiers that we've talked about, Jamie Chadwells that we've talked about, 
I don't want to say they would settle for Joe Brady, but in that in that kind of neighborhood, again, that neighborhood of coaches, or they have to swing like Michigan State did and say, this is our guy, Mel Tucker. We know that he hasn't done that much as a head coach. We're going to overpay the shit out of him. It's almost like you have to take one of those three paths, really. And I don't know if, what, what path South Carolina is going to take. I don't know if they're going to throw... Call Jeff Collins and say, hey, we're going to give you $6 million to come here. Call Scott Satterfield, we're going to give you $6 million to come here. But that's why I wanted to talk about Michigan State because it feels like the same type of job where at Michigan State, you're in a division with Ohio State who's going nowhere. And even though Michigan and Michigan State are bad, or excuse me, Michigan and Penn State are bad this year, most years they're going to be comparable to where like either a Florida or a Georgia is. So with South Carolina, you have both of those programs in the same division. So the, the job similarity seems like it's there. Which route do you see them taking, and do you think it's a fair comparison to say they have to take one of those routes, either throw a dart at a, a billion dollars at one guy or kind of go down the pecking order and just settle for somebody else and maybe save a few bucks in doing so? I think you'd have to take a flyer on somebody that's lesser known. And, and I, I don't think this is a new story in, in not even college football, in sports. Like When you look at professional sports – there's a very clear narrative between big market teams and small market teams. Uh, it's it's different and more pronounced in certain sports versus other sports. But like if you're the Lakers, you just can get whoever you want because you're the Lakers. If you are, you know, that's that's how big brands are. If you're Alabama football, you can just go get the best next coach or Clemson or you know some premier Notre Dame, some premier program. If you're South Carolina. You got to be kind of like a small market NBA team. You got to have better talent development. And in this case, I think the metaphor carries to you have to be able to identify a coach who is not at the top of the pecking order because they're not getting Luke Fickle. I didn't need Pete. Uh, I didn't need Pete to come on and tell me that. Like, I, you know, if you're Luke Fickle, you would be an idiot to go to South Carolina because you can go anywhere. Just wait till all of the jobs open up after 2021. Pick the best one, and you're you can have it. Like that's his stock right now. So for him, I mean, it would be wildly short-sighted for him to say, yep, South Carolina, let's get down to the SEC. Sounds like a great plan. So it's it, it they do have to find somebody. They're going to have to go get somebody. And that, you know, all of those decisions, at some point you have to be smarter than everybody else when you're playing this game. So I couldn't tell you the first thing about South Carolina's athletic department or their AD or their process for hiring a coach or anything, but I know that at some point, somebody in that process somewhere down the line has to be better and smarter than everybody else because that's the only way you are at a non-traditional place and you win on a big sustainable level. Let me ask you something here. I think it was before last year. Yeah, so Athlon Sports. I assume that Stephen Lassen was behind this because he does these big comprehensive pieces. Uh, Stephen's great if you haven't read his stuff, and I highly respect his opinion. That's why I brought this up. Last year before the season, they ranked all 130 jobs in college football, and I'm sure people would have disagreements on a few spots here and there, but generally if you kind of look at this as, as pods more so than actual rankings where you guys slot in, 20 to 25, maybe there's another pod, 26 to 35, somewhere in there. The point being, well, I guess let me ask you, where do you think South Carolina is ranked 
amongst the best jobs in college football. Again, this was going into last year, but I don't think that much has changed for them. I don't think that much has changed dramatically across college football. Where do you think they were for them going into last year among all 130 jobs? Um, Maybe like high 40s, mid 50s, like 54, something like that. You're not even in the right ballpark. Really? <laughs> I gotta go lower? 23. Really? They're ahead of... For example, Michigan State, 25. Wisconsin is 24, which is so asinine on so many levels that I don't I don't understand that. I, lo- I love Steven. He does great work. I don't understand why that is. It's like Michigan State's 25, Virginia Tech's 26, Ole Miss is, is behind them, Louisville's behind them, West Virginia, Arizona State, TCU is behind them. I like a lot what he said here, though. In a vacuum, South Carolina offers just about everything a coach needs to win at the highest level. But South Carolina doesn't play in a vacuum. It's in the SEC where it competes with some of the elite programs in the nation. Again, going to your question, why would Luke Fickle do that? And if Luke Fickle's not going to do that, and if they can't throw a bunch of money at Scott Satterfield, if they can't get like Brent Venables to leave, if you can't throw a bunch of money at Jeff Collins or whomever, and they don't want a Jamie Chadwell. Maybe they don't want a Billy Napier. There's a lot to like about Billy Napier. I know a lot of people will just sneeze at that because you're going from the Sun Belt to the SEC East and competing with Florida and Georgia, going from a guy that's making like 800 grand at Louisiana, probably giving him three, four, five million dollars at South Carolina. But Billy Napier is not really your your typical G5 coach. He has a ton of P5 experience. He worked under Saban. He's been around. But still, if you're not going after the big time name and throwing money at it. You're not going to settle for Chadwell or Napier, both of whom I think are extremely realistic. I don't know if they would take the job. Who's in that middle group then? That's what I, that's what I can't figure out here. I don't know who the candidate would be, the realistic candidate would be, who's kind of in that middle group. When we did the SEC preview before the season, I think we did like the, the coach that was most likely to be fired this year. For me, it was South Carolina. At the time, my guess of a replacement was Brian Harson. I think he's both realistic. There's no real geographic relation there. Yeah, he was at Texas. Yeah, he was at Arkansas State. But that's the closest he's been. I think he will leave at some point. I don't even know if he technically fits like in that middle group. I think that that would kind of be a settle too. Can you think of anybody that would fit in between a Jeff Collins, Scott Satterfield, really throwing some money out there, and that bottom group who they hire somebody, we'd all be like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's not a bad hire. I can't think of anyone that would realistically fit in that group. No, I can't. Uh, and and I, I wrote, this would have been years ago now, uh, how I thought, I, I mean, God, how many times this year am I going to mention Mike Houston on this podcast? But I wrote a column years ago about how I thought Mike Houston's ultimate destination would probably be a place like South Carolina, because that's kind of where he came from. He comes from the Carolinas. He's still in the Carolinas. He coached at the Citadel, which is in South Carolina. He has a ton of inroads there. But you're not getting, I mean, it would be... and. I would say an odd hire, even as good of a coach as I think he is, to go pluck him from East Carolina after two years where I think he's won a total of four games, something like that. So I don't I don't know. I mean, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. I don't know. Fine, fire Muschamp, but I don't know what direction you go where you feel like you have markedly improved your position. And even if... Let's just say that I keep mentioning Jeff Collins. I don't think Jeff Collins is taking this job. I think they can bump his salary up. He's making about $3 million or a shade over $3 million this year. Elevates to three point three in the final year of his deal. But let's say you do that, but the number is like 5.5 for Jeff Collins. 
I'm guessing there is $25 million, maybe $30 million guaranteed to make that deal. Even though you and I both love Jeff Collins, if South Carolina goes out and gets him, I will applaud them for having the balls to make the move. I didn't like Michigan State hiring Mel Tucker, but I love the fact that they said, here is our guy. We're going to go back to him and go back to him and go back to him until he takes the offer. It's kind of like when you trade off for like the first overall pick. In my opinion, it doesn't really matter how much you give up if you get the right guy. If Mel Tucker is the right guy, it doesn't matter what you paid for him. If Jeff Collins is the right guy at South Carolina, in my opinion, it doesn't matter what you paid for him because he would be worth five, five and a half, six million dollars if South Carolina is going ten and two, eleven and one. But if they did that tomorrow and they they signed Jeff Collins to like a, a six year, thirty four million dollar deal or something with like a twenty seven or twenty eight million dollar buyout, I don't know if that's the best idea after how much money you just threw at Will Muschamp. And granted, Jeff Collins would be a way better hire than Will Muschamp. I don't know if I would really applaud that from a financial standpoint. And South Carolina is bleeding right now, paying two hundred and seventy grand a month for the next four plus years to Will Muschamp. Like, before we move on here to, to, to some betting stuff here, what type of deal or who could they realistically hire where you would say? That is a great hire. We know that Matt Campbell's not happening. We know that Luke Fickle's not not happening. But if they brought in Billy Napier, or let's say they did roll the dice on Mike Houston, who is the guy where they could hire to a realistic deal and you would say, great hire, great contract, great process from South Carolina? Because I can't think, going back to what I just said, I can't think of anyone in that ballpark where I would be thrilled. And maybe that's just the state of South Carolina football right now. Very, very hard to get a read on. Well, and there's just not a huge amount of I don't know. This is all cyclical, but it it feels like there's not a lot of, there's not a huge pool of people to hire from right now. Exactly. And I think that's at the crux of the problem. Yeah. Let's talk some betting stuff here. You and I have talked before offline and on the show when a coach gets fired, how do you approach the, initially the first game after he's fired with the interim coach? And then how do you approach the rest of the season? South Carolina has, uh, Mizzou this week in Columbia, pulling up the line here on BetMGM. I don't have it. Uh, do you know what that line is for that game? Uh, I've got in front of me, opened at five, and it's up to six and a half. Yeah, so how do you generally, I don't even, I mean, you can talk about the line if you want to, but generally, how do you approach when you have so many, I mean, Mike Bobo, we know what Mike Bobo has done at Georgia and at, at Colorado State, so we know he's more of a commodity than some guy they pull out of their ass, but how do you approach an interim head coach, or is this typically just avoided situation until you see how South Carolina is reacting to this? It's tough. You have to read the tea leaves a little bit because it can go both ways. And and we've talked about this a little bit before, how sometimes you get a coach that's fired and it's kind of later in the season and you're just kind of playing out the string and everybody kind of just doesn't want to be there anymore. It's a lost season and they just want to get on to next year. Uh, so there, there's that that can happen. I think that could be doubly uh, a potential case this weekend, given just the weirdness of this season and an advanced SEC start and kind of a compressed finish. It's just like, you know, let's just get out of this miserable year. I could totally see that happening. On the other hand, sometimes you fire a coach and it's so... It's such a blissful feeling in the locker room like, man, we knew this was coming and it's finally happened. It can stop hanging over our heads like this. I think the most recent example of that was uh, when the the Falcons made a change in the NFL 
and then the, the you know they come out the next week and they just murdered somebody. I think it was Minnesota. They beat Minnesota by like thirty five points, and that this was a Falcons team that had just been woeful both statistically and in terms of how they were losing games. So for them to just come out and kill somebody, it was clearly because there was a change in the air supply around Atlanta. So it it just kind of depends how you're feeling. I think most people are probably going to stay away from this game. The fact that the line has moved a point and a half suggests that people are coming in on Missouri. Uh, I would think about maybe betting Missouri here, but honestly, it just feels like a position you would have to feel really confident about. Uh, whether you know you're looking at the rosters or you feel like you have some kind of inside lean from inside information or something, this is probably a stay away unless you feel like you have an angle on it. Let's get away from South Carolina here. I want to ask you about three games before we get to your best bets. One in the Big 12, two in the Big 10. Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma has really dominated this series. Yeah, Oklahoma State got a couple of wins, I think, six, seven years ago. I think two wins in three years or two wins in four years. But largely, Oklahoma has dominated. Lincoln Riley hasn't lost this game in his few years. Oklahoma is six-and-a-half-point favorite as Oklahoma State, even though they're sitting there very much a liar for the college football playoff, we're not really talking about them as a serious playoff contender. Are you interested in this game, or is this a stay away? Uh if I'm not, I don't think I'm going to bet this, but I do think there is a play here uh, if you are so inclined. And the play is Oklahoma. Uh, it's just two teams that are kind of going in different directions. Oklahoma is getting better. They're improving. They are figuring some things out. Uh, Spencer Rattler has had a few more games under his belt now, so he is playing a little better, I think. Uh, versus Oklahoma State, that just hasn't really looked right all year, and they are continuing to just... I mean, they're eking out wins. you got to give them credit for that. But they just never really look right. Uh, so the game is in Norman. Uh, it's It opened at Oklahoma State plus 9.5. That is down to 7. So I think you're getting some good value on Oklahoma at just having to lay the touchdown and no extra nonsense there. Uh, I would lean toward the Sooners. Uh, the, I think the cautionary tale here is that oftentimes this game gets into wild, wild shootout territory. I think two of the last three years, uh, the total score has gone over 100 points, uh, if I have that right. So it, it is. Uh, it, it has potential for like classic Big 12 shootout style, and oftentimes those games do not uh, have seven or eight or nine-point differentials. But if you want to bet it, I would probably lean toward the Sooners. Yeah, you're right. I was, have, I was thinking this game was in Stillwater because it was in Stillwater last year. Uh, excuse me, it was in Stillwater last year, so I was thinking it was there again for whatever reason. But yeah, Norman, and what you just said, I, I was curious if last year was 50 total points, but yeah, the, the 2018 was 95 total, uh, 2017 was that 62 to 52 game. And even going back to last year, this game hasn't failed to at least have one team score at least 30 points since 2009. And then before then, we had the 61-41. So anyways, yeah, a lot of scoring in those games. The two in the Big Ten that I want to talk about, starting with Indiana and Ohio State. Indiana, obviously a lot better than we all thought they were going to be. Uh, but now we're seeing how bad the teams are that they have beaten. And it seems like the jury is still out on if they're actually that good. 
Odds makers are saying no, at least based on the public perception of that. Ohio State, a heavy, nearly three touchdown favorite. I'm seeing 20 and a half on BetMGM. What do you like or not like about this game? Uh, I do have a play in this game. Let's look at the side first. Uh, the game opens at 19 and a half at a lot of books. It's up to 20 and a half right now, as you said. Uh, this is a tough handicap. Because all Indiana has done is exceed expectations. And I'm saying that as somebody that already had high expectations for Indiana. Uh, I have made good money betting on them early on. I came on this podcast last week and I had an awesome week last week. But one of the few that I missed was I said, hey, if you want to bet this Indiana-Michigan State game, it's probably time to sell high on Indiana and come in on the Michigan State side. Indiana kills them in East Lansing, 24-0, I think it was. So, I mean, they, they continue to exceed expectations both on the field and against the spread. Getting 20.5 points with them is no small thing. But this is Ohio State we're talking about. And anytime you want to take the points against Ohio State, it's just playing with fire. So I am inclined to stay away from the side here and instead bet on the total, which opened at 62.5. It is already up to 66. I think it probably could creep a little higher into the high 60s as we get closer to Saturday. And I think the reality of this game, when you look at what it is, this is a Big Ten championship play-in game. We know that whoever wins this game pending some massive calamity, is probably going to represent the East in the Big Ten Championship game. And I think there is going to be an intensity that respects those stakes. So I like the under here, not just out of principle, but also because we've already gotten three and a half extra points on top of that because it's been bet up. It's probably going to continue to go up. So a solid counterplay here with some bonus cherry handicapping on top of that. The other Big Ten one that I want to ask you about is Wisconsin at Northwestern. Wisconsin, seven and a half point favorite. We're talking here on Tuesday night in case these lines do change a little bit. Uh, seven and a half point favorite, Wisconsin at Northwestern. Pretty low total in this game, 45 and a half. Uh, we're not talking uh, Army, Georgia, Georgia Southern total. I think that one's at 41 or 42 last I saw, but still a very low total. One of the lowest totals in the week. What do you like or not like about this game that... I guess we don't even really know how this is going to shake up the Big Ten race. If Wisconsin wins this game, which I believe they will handily, Wisconsin's on their way to a Big Ten championship appearance, even with those cancellations. And we're going to I mean, talk about the playoff and what we're going to learn about these unbalanced schedules. We'll see what happens with that next week. But we don't really know specific scenarios because Wisconsin has only played the two games, so we can't sit here and say if whatever team loses this game, they have to do this to get back to it because we don't know exactly how things are going to shake out with potential cancellations hopefully Wisconsin doesn't have another one but anyways Wisconsin seven and a half point favorites at Northwestern what do you not like or like about this game yeah opens at seven up to seven and a half now uh when you look at Wisconsin well the handicap that I gave last week on Wisconsin Michigan was look if Wisconsin shows up and they have their players and they're ready to go Wisconsin's gonna win and they're gonna cover it's but what are the odds that that's gonna happen Uh, do we feel confident betting Wisconsin in the middle of the week, not knowing what the team's going to look like on Saturday? So I said, let's wait till Saturday, make sure they've got the full team. And then if you see that, 
go ahead and bet the Badgers because they clearly look like they're a better team than Michigan. I would rather bet Wisconsin minus six on Saturday, knowing what the roster looks like, than bet Wisconsin minus four on Wednesday, having no idea who's going to play. The idea there is that Wisconsin is the best team in the Big Ten West by a wide margin, and that they're probably going to win most, if not all, of their regular season games. So I kind of like Wisconsin again here. Now, I don't like it as much as I would have liked them against Michigan last week, uh, but I do think this is a spot where you could probably bet Wisconsin again and feel pretty good. Yes, it's a road game. Yes, Northwestern is pretty good. Uh, But I would actually feel a little bit worse betting Wisconsin if Northwestern was unranked versus now where they are ranked because I feel like this would be a natural letdown spot for Wisconsin, except... That little number, I mean, it's it's so dumb to talk about this stuff sometimes, but the number makes it really hard not to take Northwestern seriously. They know they're going on the road to play a top 25 team. So I think Wisconsin handles business on the road this week. They win and they get the cover. Best bets this week, looking at the, the rest of the games here, like Kansas State, Iowa State, Iowa State a pretty heavy 11-point favorite, Kentucky, Alabama, that's a big line. 30 and a half some a lot of other intriguing g5 games that have a little bit closer lines what do you love this week yeah i'm probably gonna have a smaller card this week i think i just don't love a ton of the games but i do see a few that i really really like so probably low volume uh and high unit count on some of these uh starting with this probably one of my favorite bets of the year i'm gonna say southern methodist uh, we we were on Tulsa last week. Tulsa gets the win. Tulsa gets the cover. Southern Methodist comes home and is a three-point favorite against Houston. This line, I don't understand. Uh, I, I understand that they just lost to a Tulsa team that was unranked, so there's going to be a little bit of regression to the mean in terms of how the book handicaps them. But Houston has... Not been all that impressive this year. I mean, they've beaten the crap out of some bad teams, but they are clearly a second-level you know, G5 team. They are not a premier team by any means. This spread seems like it is giving Houston way too much respect. I think Southern Methodist can win this game by double digits. Uh, So give give me the Mustangs minus three at home. I mean... The idea that these teams would be like evenly matched on a neutral field, it's just not what I see. So give me Southern Method against minus the three, and I think this is a pretty easy cover to be to be blunt about it. Uh, App State versus Coastal Carolina, another G5 game. Again, if you have watched App State this year and you have watched Coastal Carolina this year, These teams are not on the same playing field. I get that App State's been really good, one of the best G5 teams the last three or four years. They are not as good as Coastal Carolina this year. They've taken a step back, and Coastal Carolina has taken seven steps forward. So Coastal opens as a four-point home favorite. That number goes up to five and a half. If it was at seven, I would still take it because Coastal is better than App State by a noticeable margin. So give me the Chanticleers, minus the five and a half. Uh, 30... (laughs) going to run through these next few. Florida is a 31.5 point favorite against Vanderbilt. I don't think it's enough points. So I'm betting Florida. It's probably not going to be a big bet because I'm betting I'm laying 31.5 points, but I just don't think that's enough points. Florida has been killing people since they lost 
in uh, College Station. So give me Florida minus the points. Uh, same thing with Alabama. They're laying 31 points. I didn't even write down this is the second week in a row. I didn't even write down who they're playing, but I know they're, <laughs> they're laying 31 points, and that's not enough. So give me Alabama. Uh, I, I, it's, it's Kentucky, I think. Like Kentucky, yeah, yeah, Kentucky. Yep. Kentucky yeah. just eked out a three-point win over Vanderbilt, and now they're – I mean, it sounds weird to who say. Who was this. it? Wasn't it? Was it Cincinnati last week where you didn't even have who they were playing? And yeah. it was was it <laughs> also they were playing East Carolina? And I said, I don't even know who they're playing, but I know they're laying twenty-seven and a half. So give me Cincinnati. And guess what? They covered. Maybe uh, we need to have a, a one bet per week where it does not matter who they're playing. Yeah. Uh, how about this one? Abilene Christian at UVA. Abilene Christian catching thirty-nine and a half points. Abilene Christian is. Probably not that good of a team, but you can't lay 40 with UVA. That's just dumb. Is UVA going to score 40? Yeah, that's what I'm, this is, I mean, this could be like a 23 to zero game. So 39 and a half is way too many points. Uh, Give me Abilene Christian and I'm just going to take the ride and we'll see what happens. Boise State is laying two touchdowns at Hawaii. I broke down a couple weeks ago, the whole Hawaii home against the spread stuff. It's just a a nice spot to bet on road teams. Boise was humiliated by BYU. They bounced back with a big win last week. I expect them to beat the crap out of Hawaii here too. A nice, comfortable 21, 24, 27 point win. Uh, Enjoy the islands. USC at Utah, they're laying three points. I wanted to come out a couple weeks ago in Utah's opener and bet against Utah because they have the least returning production of any FBS team uh, I didn't get to do that because the game got canceled. I get to do it here. USC is better than Utah by a significant margin. I don't care that they're going on the road. I don't care that Utah played in the Pac-12 championship game last year. USC minus three. Rutgers is plus 11 at home against Michigan. This feels like something I say every week. Andrew, in this week it's Michigan. It's not Michigan every week, but this week it's Michigan. What has Michigan done to go on the road and lay 11 points against a Rutgers team that we know is not a doormat. Do we even know that Michigan is a better team? I'm not kidding. I'm not either. Neutral field, I... Okay, yes. I think Michigan is a a little bit of a better team. I don't think... Minnesota has struggled a lot, but I don't think we can just totally discount how good they looked, and I get what's happened since that first game, but they still look like a competent football team in Week 1. They still have the talent for me to say, yeah, they're better. The margin is slim. The margin is like, if you had not told me what that was, I would have said maybe four, maybe five. Where are you getting 11? Their defense is going to give up 90 points to Rutgers. I would have laid this at Michigan minus two and a half. If they lose, is Harbaugh out now? Is this a fire game? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's why it's 11. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Do you see that? Do you see that often when, when a book might think that a firing could be coming? Do you see that they're giving more points? I don't know that you can identify that specifically, but I do yeah. think you can tell when a line smells fishy sometimes. And this is this is almost fishy for me, but I, I think you can also explain it instead of being a fishy line as big-time college football popular brand versus dead-in-the-water brand that nobody has ever wanted to bet over the last 10, 20, pick-a-number years. So I think it's probably just as much about that as anything. Give me Rutgers plus the 11. Speaking of your Minnesota Golden Gophers, they are playing Purdue this week. The number, the total, excuse me, is 62 and a half. 
feels kind of high. I know Minnesota mm-hmm. is a little mm-hmm. light on the defense this year, but 62.5 against a team like Purdue, I think it's probably going to be more low scoring than that. Give me the under. Last one I got here. This is a small play for me. This is more of a gut call than anything else, and I don't love the number. But Iowa is minus 2.5 at Penn State. We have talked a couple times on this podcast. It feels like Penn State has given up. And Iowa is better. Penn State just lost in Nebraska. Iowa is clearly a better team. So give me Iowa minus the 2.5 in Happy Valley. And I'm going to go on the assumption that Penn State just kind of doesn't show up. At Chase A. Kitty, if you have any specific betting questions before this weekend or before next week's episode, we'll be back on Monday looking back on Week 12. The big one here, like I said in the open, looking ahead to the first playoff rankings. How will the committee weigh these unbalanced schedules? We've been wondering this for months. I think we first brought it up back in like March or April. If there are cancellations, if players are missing the game, and I don't know if ironically is the right word, but for so many months we use what happens if Clemson's entire offensive line is out. Turns out their Heisman contending quarterback was out because of COVID. So how will the committee weigh these unbalanced schedules, these cancellations, these missed games? We're going to get some answers from their rankings. We're not going to get shit from the interview, but we're going to find out a little bit from their rankings. Those coming on Tuesday night. So we'll do some predictions, talk some other playoff things on Monday. And then we're back on Thursday with a look ahead to week 13 betting. Again, send any questions to Chase at Chase A. Kitty or the show at High Motor Pod. Thank you for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in